translation. All right. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, Miss Stacy sends her love. She says she'll be back with us next week. Uh, her and Jonathan are having a mom-son uh, outing tonight, uh, which she's excited to do. So they are doing that. But she did reach out and say, I'll be back next week. Um, so just continue to love them and send your love. And um, there's just a lot going on. Uh, but praise the Lord, God's still in control, and he's still on the throne, and he hasn't left us, and he ain't going to. Glory to God. Good English right there. He, he ain't. That's actually in the dictionary now, so y'all can't say anything. Right. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, let's do our confession. We'll pray and get into the word. We believe that uh, God's got his hand on every person um, that calls on the name of Jesus. We believe that God is still on the throne, and he's working and moving in this day and in this hour. Um, no matter the need, all anybody has to do is call in the name of Jesus and uh, be faithful to do what he, he speaks to them to do, and, and uh, he'll take care of them. Now, let me qualify that real quick. If you've got unrepented sin in your life and you call on the name of Jesus, that may likely be the very reason your prayers aren't being answered. Um, so, you know, if your prayers aren't being answered, you might want to look and see if you've got things blocking your prayer life, uh, like unforgiveness, we'll say. But let's do our confession, then we'll get into the Word. Now, we know our confession doesn't do a darn thing for God, correct? correct. Um, our confession isn't us trying to twist God's arm and make Him do anything. Our confession or our profession of faith, what that does is that helps, us, helps get this knowledge from our head down into our spirit and when it comes up out of our spirit and we speak it from our spirit, then it can produce results in our life. And that's why we confess. So let's confess. This, this is, is Wade. My... Did you say wait? Where is your Bible? Well, you better go find one. We're all waiting on you. Come sit okay, on the front row Jack's in a Bible. church and not have a Bible. Robbie, Robbie. Come on. Robbie, look at Jack's Bible. Where is your Bible? <laughs> Yeah, you better, you know, you know, we got, it's in his car, it's in his car, <laughs> come into the church and it's in the car, at least oh, he's got it, at least he knows where his is, glory to God, it's somewhere, come on, come on Christians, you need to know where your Bible is, let's try this again, come on, you know what it is, well, you can't say this is mine, but I guess you'll take that one home and it will be yours. And that way you'll have another one. Here we go. This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word... Feeds okay. and grows <laughs> my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. Praise God. Glory to God. You know, I kind of think that it does do a little something for God. He probably thinks it's cute. Kind of like, kind of like when, uh, when, when your child's learning, 
learning to read and they, they, they're doing their ABC song. Probably a lot like that. <laughs> In either case, our confession does nothing for God. He might like it. He might get a little excited from time to time when we confess it. Because God does, God does like it when we're a doer of the word. How much do you know? Joshua 1.9 said to, um, to meditate on the word day and night. And the word meditate means to mutter, to think, and to speak over and over and over and over. So by making a confession, what are we doing? We're meditating. And God said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, then I will command the blessing to you. But um, he's talking about being a doer of all the word, not just the parts that we agree to or that we like. Um, but how much you know when we confess the word, the angels go to the Lord Jesus and say, they're confessing, they're speaking the word, and Jesus goes before the Father. See, you get a gold star in heaven. But, you know, but it's not going to produce anything for you. You know, but but you know that con confession does work because how many how many people here right now could probably recite the ABC song? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to, but but I bet you could. All these years later, and you can still remember it word for word. It, meditation does the same thing, and and conf and our confession does the same. But but. But it's not the same because you're not getting your ABC song down to your spirit. That's true. You're getting, we get the word of God into our spirit, Pastor Mike. Right. Not into our head. Right. You're trying to take what's in your head okay. Okay. and move it to your spirit. That's right. Which takes us to Revelation <laughs> chapter 1, verse 3. We're you not going to review that. everything. You're going to pray for us? I probably need to be the one praying, getting us all goofed up and messed up tonight before we even get out the gate. Father, we do ask that you, Father, we do ask that you give unto us a spirit of, I'm sorry, Lord, let me back up. Father, your word says that we're to come to you in praise and in thanksgiving and in worship, that that's how we enter into your courts. So, Father, we do praise you. Father, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing and all that you will ever do for us. Father, we give you glory and honor, and we thank you. Father, we worship you for, for who you are. Father, we thank you that you are um, he who was and is and is to come. We thank you, Father, that you're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Father, we thank you that you are El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Father, we thank you that you're the God who sees ahead and provides. Father, we thank you. That you are also El, Elohim, the God who is, I mean, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Father, we thank you for that. Now, Father, as we come and we join you this evening as the family, the assembled body of, of Christ into the church. Father, as we come as the church before your throne. Father, we ask for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge that you lead and guide us into all truth, that you open up the eyes of our understanding and cause us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge. Father, we thank you that as we study the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John by, God, by you, Father, we thank you that you open up our eyes and cause us to see and understand some things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. 
Well, for the sake of time, we're not going to review everything that we saw last week because there's 22 chapters in Revelations, and we don't want it to take us all year to get through the book of Revelations. But I do want to point out a couple key things here. Um, in verse 3, it says this, which is our obligation. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chap Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3. Now, I, I was listening to another minister's teaching on the book of Revelation just because, in fact, I didn't even know that he had a teaching on the book of Revelation um, until he shared it on um, Facebook uh, sometime the end of last week. And I thought, wow, that's pretty neat. Um, it's Pastor Jim Howard, or Reverend Jim Howard. He's no longer pastoring, but he's still part of Fivefold. He's teaching now. We've got some of his teachings back here on CD. He's a very gifted minister of the gospel. Um, he's uh, in his 84th year. Uh, actually, he's completed 84 years, and he's in his 85th year, as Brother Randy likes to point out. And uh, Or did he complete 83, and he's in his 84th? It's somewhere in there. Um, but he's been a minister of the gospel for 40-something years, and uh, he's very well-educated in this. And one thing that he pointed out in his teaching, which I thought, man, that's a good point, is it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. It's one revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation, although we find out some things about the Antichrist. We find out some things about the years of tribulation. We find out some things about heaven. But, but through, through the revelation of John, or through the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John, there's one theme and one principle that runs through the whole book, or through the whole letter, I should say, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So it's one revelation. And, and we have three obligations to this book as believers. And we find our obligation in verse 3. Number one, blessed is he that is is italicized. So the, readers, the writers put it in there to help us understand it better. But I think we can all understand, blessed he that readeth. If you'll read it, you'll be blessed. Blessed means to be happy, to be fruitful, to be prosperous, to have favor. So if we'll read it, we'll be happy and we'll find favor um, in the sight of God. Um, the second thing is that they hear the words of this prophecy. So the second obligation is to hear the word. Does it say that you must understand every word given? No. It says you need to hear you. Number one, you need to read it, which means you don't need, you don't need it just read to you, but you yourself will be blessed by reading it for yourself. And number two, you need to have a spiritual ear, not just a physical ear, but a spiritual ear, because I pointed out last week that the book of Revelations is a spiritual book. It's talking about spiritual things, and yes, sometimes spiritual things roll over into the natural. We understand that. But it's to have a spiritual ear to hear a prophecy, or this prophecy. So this revelation is prophecy. Now, prophecies often deal with, most people think prophecy is always future tense. But a prophecy can actually deal with past, present, and future. And this book of Revelation um, deals with all that, with, with exactly that. It deals with the past. It, will, it actually talks in here about the birth of Christ. How much do you know that was a past event in John's day? Uh, 
It talks so it talks about past events. It talks about present events in their day or or in our day, I should say. And then it talks about future events. So that so that is a prophecy. The other thing about a prophecy is many times when a prophecy is given, the person giving the prophecy will often speak, and I didn't point this out last week, will often speak in the first person. In other words, if I have a word, and, I, and this has happened with some of y'all, if, if the Lord gives me a word for you, I will speak to you, or Pastor Mike will speak to you, as though we were God ourselves. Now, we're not God, but prophecy a lot of times will come in that first person. So there's been times that by the Spirit of God, I'll say something along the lines, I hear the Lord saying, and then I'll say something like, if I'm talking to a man, I'll hear, I, I may say something like, son, how much, you know, you're not my son, physically. Uh, there are some that y'all uh, count me as, as a spirit, you know, I, I count y'all as a spiritual child, but I'm not talking about my spiritual talk, child. I'm talking on behalf of God, because I said, I hear the Lord speak. So some of this uh, though it sounds like God speaking, it is a prophecy, and it may very well be the angel speaking what God has said. Um, and I said last week that when you read this next ver next few verses, you hear that you hear things like, um, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end." In verse eight, and verse two tells us, and ver I mean verse one tells us. Um, that uh, that the angel of the Lord is giving this. Um, so I said, you know, and a lot of times in the Bible, the, the Jesus is referred to as the angel of the Lord. So it's possible that it was Jesus saying it, that he heard Jesus, didn't know it was Jesus until he turned around um, later when we see that it's Jesus speaking. But it's also possible that it was an angel sent to say it. Uh, so there's a couple different things that could be going on there. I personally perceive, I personally believe in this account um, that it was, the. I believe it was Jesus speaking, and he just didn't know it until he turned around. But it's not written in red, so I think John would know. <laughs> um, but maybe John still didn't know when he recorded it. So we talked about that. We talked about over in verse 13 that uh, it gives us a description of what Jesus looks like today in his glorified state. Um, and you can read those verses to find out. Then we got down to verse 17, and Jesus, now earlier, uh, John said, I saw what looked like the Son of God walking amongst the candlesticks, and he had seven stars in his hands. And then as Jesus begins to talk, Jesus says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Let's pick up right here at the tail end of verse 17 where Jesus spoke. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. Now notice he said, number one, he said, fear not. And John had priorly said he was stuck to the floor. Um, and so we know that Jesus lays his hand on him and he lets him up. Notice Jesus says, he, now, this, now, now here John knows for fact that it's Jesus talking, which is why they wrote it in red. Now, John, let me help you. John did not write in red ink. Let me help you. The disciples, the, the writers of the, of the Bible did not write in black and red ink. The translators, the printers of the Bibles, 
put what was clearly Jesus talking in red to help us, the readers, understand that it was Jesus talking. Because there's some people that will tell you, well, if it's not a red-letter Bible, it's not God. Well, honey, God didn't write in red to begin with. He wrote in one color. <laughs> These people are so funny. Yeah, I heard, I was, as I said, I was listening to Pastor Jim Howard talk about this, and I'm two or three sermons in, and he said this. He said, sometimes you just need to take a, a, a strong bomb, um, something maybe even on the nuclear level, to your uh, religious theology and thinking. Sometimes you've just got to just kind of explode your thinking and your theology because sometimes we come up with some of the goofiest thoughts about God. But notice here that Jesus said, I am he that liveth. First he said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the first and the last. Now we need to understand this about God. I didn't know I was going to go here, but it's important that we go here. You need to understand that the Father God is one um, person of the Godhead. God knows things that Jesus and the Holy Ghost do not know uh, because God has not re revealed it. Jesus said in the scriptures, no man knoweth the time uh, that this age is going to end but the Father. He said nobody knows. And Jesus was a man at the time. So Jesus doesn't know. He said, I don't even know. Remember the book of Acts? They, the book of Acts. They said, "When is it coming?" And he said, "No man knows." He was talking to himself. See, God is, but Jesus also said, "I only say what I hear the Father say." Jesus also said over in the book of John, he said, "I reveal all things to you, my brethren, because he said because you're my brethren, not because uh, you're my servants." See, remember he said a master doesn't reveal everything to a servant, but family reveals everything to family? There's a reason God doesn't tell Jesus everything. Because if God told Jesus, Jesus would tell the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost would tell us. Did you know that? Think about it. He said, I only say and do what the Father does. So sometimes uh, God, the Father, keeps things to himself. Now, does that mean that Jesus isn't God? No, Jesus is much God as God is God. Because he said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the first and the last. See, the Father God is one person in the Trinity. Jesus is another person, you could say, in the Trinity. And the Holy Ghost is another person in the Trinity. But they're also, all together, they're one. Now, this is a hard concept to wrap our heads around, and honestly, we're not going to understand it until we get to heaven. I'll just tell you right now, we are not going to understand it until we get to heaven. There's a lot of things in this world that we can look at that can, that can kind of give us a, an understanding and an example. Marriage is one of them that I use. He's the head of the house. There's things he knows that I don't know, but I know him intimately, and I know him well, and I know how he likes things, so I'm going to do things the way he likes things because he's the head. And vice versa. And then the children, that if we had children, our children, I would teach them and train them to do things the way I do them and thereby do them the way that Dad would do them. If it's a biblical household. 
But the biblical house, but households are so corrupted anymore that a lot of times you can't look at a household and see the Trinity because they're out of whack. The children are at the top and the mom's in the middle and dad's at the bottom somewhere if he's lucky. It's been perverted. I'm sorry. It's been perverted. How many people? It's supposed to be dad and mom and then the children. It's supposed to be God, then dad, then mom, then the children. There you go. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be God at the top, dad follows God, mom follows God, and then mom follows dad as dad follows God, and it's a perfect trinity triangle. But how much you know, most of the time, mom's at the top. Or, better yet, the children are at the top. And then, it's the, and then it's the mom, and then it's the dad, and then God's down there in the bottom somewhere when it's convenient. Sometimes it's even the children, and then the God, and then mom, and then the husband. And sometimes it's the husband, and uh, he, and God, and the mom both follow what the dad says. That's messed up, too. No, he said, here he said, I, there's a particular reason that Jesus said, I am the first and the last. He's letting you know that he is as much God as the Father is God. But, but see, the Father has different roles and responsibilities than Jesus, and Jesus has different roles and responsibilities than the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost has roles and responsibilities that neither the Father or the Son have. But we're not talking about that, but we'll see some of it in play here. Then he said this, he said, Write these things which thou seest that thou hast seen, and the things which thou art, and the things which shall be hereafter. So Jesus is saying, you're going to see some things. I want you to write down the stuff that's already happened. Remember I said there will be stuff in here that's past. He said, write down the stuff that's already happened that I show you. Write down the stuff that's happening that I'm talking to you right now about. And then write down the stuff that's coming in the future. Then he says in verse 20, it's amazing, he says the mystery. We know this, that every time it says the mystery in the scriptures, what he's talking about is a spiritual secret that can be revealed. A spiritual secret that can be revealed. So Jesus is, is uh, revealing a spiritual secret. Now, Pastor Mike pointed out last week that the word um, that here... Um, the word revelation means an opening or to uncover or to unwrap a present, to open it up. And that that word revelation in the Greek is the word apocrypha, which is where we get the word uh, um, apocalypse from, apocalypse. So when you hear the word apocalypse in American English, you think, oh, my gosh, the end of the world. It wasn't apocrypha. Which, but it was, it's very close to apocalypse. It's like, okay. a, but but it's not. You, but yeah, okay. I don't have it in front of me. In either case, maybe I do. I, in either case, um, but the but here's the point. It's the opening of the mystery or the opening. So Jesus is going to unwrap a mystery for us. He's going to open something up for us. So he says, "Here is the mystery of the seven stars." which thou sawest in my right hand. Paul had seen seven stars. When he saw Jesus, Jesus was walking around and amongst some candlesticks, and he had seven stars in his right hand. So Jesus, now it's really funny, because we've looked at several commentaries on this stuff. And it's really funny how some of the commentaries will make up something. They'll say, well, we believe the seven stars are, and they go off to left field. 
They don't have to go off into left field. Listen, the first step to taking the, to understanding the understanding the Bible is he says what he means. He says what he means. So look at this. He said, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Jesus said, I'm going to open it up to you. I'm going to explain it to you. And then Jesus begins to explain it. The seven stars are the angels. I pointed out last week that the word angels literally means messengers. Spiritual messengers. Or, uh, or messengers of the spirit. Okay? When we today hear the word angels, we think of, thanks to Hollywood, many people think of little fat babies playing a harp sitting on a cloud. There is no such thing in the Bible. There's not a description anywhere of little fat babies wearing diapers, playing, playing harps in heaven. There's no description of that in all, at all. In fact, when we get into this, the description of an angel will flat freak you out. If you stop and think about what they're describing when they describe these angels. He said, so he said, the seven, so we're going to read it this way. The seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Now, this is real hard to understand what Jesus is saying. Real complicated. If you blink twice, you might misunderstand it. What are the seven candlesticks? They're the churches. Was that hard? Nope. Real easy to understand. Candlesticks in heaven represent churches. Wow, that's amazing. And what do the stars represent? The messengers. The messengers. He says angels, but it really means the messengers. Now, we pointed out that many people will teach that, this, that there's a church, that they'll look at that and they'll say, see, there's an angel assigned to every church. And there is a truth to that. There is angels assigned to every ministry. There's no doubt about it. There's angels assigned. But we're going to prove to you in just a minute that he can't possibly be talking about angels in heaven. I also told you last week, and this messes with some people's theology, that demons are also frequently called angels. Angels are frequently called angels. Well, they, they people call them angels because they're the fallen angels. No. Well, they may be. There's some debate as to exactly what the demons come from. But what we do know is demons are messengers or servants of Satan. Another word for messenger could be a servant. So we could read it this way. The servants... Are the or, or, or the stars represent the servants of the churches? We could say it that way. So let's let's pick up right here in verse two. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right now, this is where I mess everybody's theology up. Why would Jesus tell John to write a letter to a angel of heaven, like we think of angels? Why would, why would John need to write a letter to the angels? You kind of can't. First of all, why would the angels receive a letter? And where would you mail it to? Where would you mail it to? <laughs> where would you send it to them? How precisely would you deliver a letter from a human being to an angel at a church? 
I'm going to send this letter and I'm going to address it to the church, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Please do not read this to the congregation. Only give it to the angel. The pastor's going to get the mail and go, hmm, this person's crazy. I don't know what to do with this. I guess this goes in file 13. (laughs) Right? Let's think this through. No, no, no. So here, the angels, the messengers, the servants can only be the pastors. It can only be the pastors, which many theologians do agree that the angels here are the pastors. So on to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, right? Now, we read this, and we found out that that, uh, Ephesus had some things going on. Ephesus had uh, works. They had labor. They had patience. Um, they, were, uh, they, they could not stand or bear or carry that which was evil. They didn't put up with evil. They tested those that called themselves apostles and figured out, no, they're liars. The pastors did all this. He, had his people, he taught his people well to do this. Um, they, they bore the situations and the hardships that they dealt with with patience. They labored for uh, the name of, for, for uh, Jesus' namesake. They didn't faint. They even hated those that called themselves um, the, those that even called themselves Jews, but were pagans in their worship. See, this church had it going on. They had a lot going on for them. They had a lot of things right. They had a lot of things right. But then Jesus said, um, but you left your first love. He said, and uh, until, unless you'll repent, I'll come and remove your candlestick. I'll come remove the anointing off of your pastor and off of your church. He said, pastor, and he, remember, he's talking to the pastor. He said, pastor, you got all this stuff right. He said, but pastor, you left your first love. And I told you last week, I'm guilty. And what do I mean I'm guilty? Because it's real easy as a pastor to get caught up in the administration side of ministry. It's real easy to get caught up with helping the people and and to get out of the habits that you used to have when you first came to Christ. It's when I first came to Christ, man, I spent all day. I didn't care about TV. I didn't care about other family time. I didn't care about all I wanted to do was spend time with Jesus. I'd get up, I'd sleep for a couple hours, get up and get up and, and pray all night long till the sun came up. Get up, go to work, not care. Get a little age on you, get a little wisdom in you, get a little, get a little word in you, and you tend to think, well, I can coast by on what I've got. And God came and said, uh, Pastor, you better, re- you better repent or I'm going to come remove your church from you. You better repent. Now, he's going to hold the pastor accountable first. Does that mean you sitting in the pew is off the hook? No. It just means that he's going to he's going to deal with me first. He's going to deal with Pastor Mike first, and then he's going to come to you. And here's the deal: we set the example. So if we're backing off, guess what? We're setting the example that it's okay for you to back off. It's not okay. Nope. It's not okay. And I have repented, and I've made adjustments, and I've been spending a lot more time on the Word for just myself and spending more time in prayer just for myself. All right. So let's pick up with the next church. So let's pick up, um, let's pick up right here. 
verse 8. I want to look at verse 7. He says, he, he says, hear, or he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, you need to understand that this letter that Paul wrote, even though he addresses all 11, all seven churches, uh, all seven churches are hearing what Jesus has to say about one another. So right, in that, right about now, Ephesus, being the first church called out, is going, oh, Jesus. Oh, I, got some, I got some adjustments to make. But then they have to listen to what other things the other six churches have going on. And how much do you know? They probably looked at themselves and said, well, Jesus didn't call me out on that, but I probably got a little guilt in that area too. Some people say, some theologians believe and, and, and declare this, that the seven churches depicts the seven ages or eras of time of the church. And if you go back and look at church history, you can kind of find out that, that all seven of these churches kind of fall within these categories. However, um, most theologians that thought that, meant, thought, or think that, thought and do think that when Jesus was referring to the church, he was referring to the church universal, the church overall, the, the whole body of Christ. Since then, we've come to figure out and understand and under, uh, to realize and understand that when Jesus was talking to individual, that when Jesus was talking about the church or to the church, 98% of the time he was talking about an individual local church. He was talking to, to, to local churches. Jesus' emphasis was on the local body, not the body overall. So he was talking to a specific so these seven churches really represent things and issues that can be found in local churches. And some of these things can be found, multiples of these things can be found in one local church. You know, he, Jesus can come and walk through the ranks, and he may find some of us that have lost, left our first love. And then he can go through the ranks and he might find somebody that's guilty of what was going on in the other church, in one of the other churches. So, he, so he's bringing to our account, be on the, he's saying, hey, church, look at, hey, local church, local church, look out for all of these issues within your local church. So let's look at this, let's look at this second church, verse 8. All right, verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. Oh, finish reading verse 7 because we've got to come back to that in a little while. Okay. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. Mark that a little bit. We're going to come back to that at some point. Which is in the midst of the, of the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are, of, but are the synagogue of Satan. All right. So here's what the Church of Smyrna has going for it. The Church of Smyrna has got works going on. They're doing the works of the body of Christ. That's a good thing. The church at Smyrna is under some heavy tribulation. There's some, there's some tribulation. There's some persecution. There's some hard things going on around them. 
Um, the other thing is, is they're dealing with some poverty in their church. And Jesus said, even though you're dealing with financial poverty in your church, he said, you are rich in faith, rich in faith. Now, we had to do a little research to find out what was going on in this church in Smyrna because he said, I know the blasphemy of them which are the Jews and are not but the synagogue of Satan. Now, that sounds pretty rough, but we need to read verse 10 to find out some more information. All right. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. All right, so Smyrna was, was at the center of the capital of Rome in Asia Minor. Of the province of, of the, Asia Minor. Right, of not, not of all of Rome. Right, right. Not all of Rome, but Rome had moved in and taken over Asia Minor. It's kind of like the state capital. And, and, and they set up the capital. Now, in, as we understand it from our studies, in Smyrna, because, they were, because Rome was establishing their, um, their rule and reign, and, and remember, Rome was a, Rome, listen, if you, didn't do, if you didn't do what Rome wanted you to do, they were the kings of persecution. They were really good at persecuting people. You also have to understand that Rome as a whole was an extremely pagan nation. Uh, they had a lot of temples set up to the pagan gods. A lot of money was paid in tribute to the pagan gods. A lot of people came to the providences of Rome to, to do pagan worship, which brought a lot of tourist money, so to speak, into their regions and into their areas. Um, so there was some, there was some very, uh, some very he heavy pagan worship in, in Samarta. But yet, somehow, in, in the midst of all of this paganism, and in, in somehow in the midst of all this extreme governmental control, somehow God managed to get a church into that region, to get the light of God into that region. And he got these people so on, these people that were in this church of Smyrna, even in the great depths of paganism, they were on fire for God. They were doing good works to the point that they were coming under extreme persecution. Extreme persecution. Um, and, and they had, and not only were they doing all of these good works and they had come under extreme persecution, they had also lost a lot or all of their finances. Well, yeah, because uh, the Romans, part of the Roman worship was that they had to, uh, once a month, they had to bow down to the emperor and, and, and proclaim that he was Lord. And the Christians, of course, couldn't do that. So, so, and, and that was the law. So because, because they were breaking the law, because they had to, then, then, that, then the, uh, as part of Roman law was they forfeited the, all of their land. They forfeited all their possessions, and they couldn't get a job. Well, so how, immediately they became poor. Right. Well, how was Rome able to take that? Because what they would have to do is they'd have to go to a public forum, and they'd have to bow down, 
and they'd have to proclaim out of their mouth, Caesar is Lord. Yep. And, and they would, they and would, they would put do their that, name down when they claimed it, right. so that they could be, they could retain their citizenship. When they would do that, not only would Rome write their name down, but Rome would give them a certificate mm-hmm. of citizenship, and they would have to display their certificate of citizenship. They'd have to have it on display in order to in order to keep their house. If their certificate wasn't up in the house, that meant that they didn't declare that Caesar was Lord, and then Rome could come in and take their house. And if they Lord. couldn't, if they didn't, if they didn't display their, if they didn't show their certificate, uh, they didn't get to keep their job. They were they were they were tossed from their job. If they didn't if they didn't show their certificate. Uh, they weren't able to buy and purchase. So here the Christians in Smyrna were dedicated to the Lord. Now the Bible tells us that we're to follow the law of the land until such time as the law of the land uh, goes against the Bible. So the church at Smyrna said, now wait a minute, we can't bow down. We can't bow down to uh, Caesar and claim for him to be the Lord and also serve Jesus. And claim his. Him and claim Lord. his. So they were under extreme persecution. They were under this extreme persecution. That's why he said, uh, fear none of these things that thou shalt suffer. In other words, Jesus said, I know what you're up against. He said, but don't be afraid. He said, behold, the devil is going to cast some of you into prison. This was not a spiritual prison. This was Satan was moving upon the Roman leadership and the Roman guard to take these people prisoner. This was real. This was real life persecution. Until such time as they declared Caesar as Lord. Right. This was this was this was a real level persecution like what we like what they're seeing in China and North Korea and places in Islam and other areas around the world. We're not seeing it in our country yet. We've seen a little bit of it. We've seen a little bit of it. Remember the coach that lost his job because he wouldn't bow down because they said you can't pray in public and uh he said uh, the Bible tells me pray night and day. He said, I'm not making a show of it. All I'm doing is getting on my knee and praying. Remember, they they went after him. Remember that? Remember the bakers? Remember the bakers that they wanted to make the homosexual cake, wedding cake? And they said, that's against my religion. And remember, it busted them out of business completely? They're still going. They've gotten a couple of victories, but they're still going after them some more. And as long as the church continues to bow down to stuff like that, it's going to keep getting worse. He said, don't fear what you're going to suffer and then he tells them why he said behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried he said your faith is going to be tested and the devil's doing it to try to get you to to change he said and you he said but you're only gonna he said and and you shall be tried or in this tribulation for 10 days they were put in jail for 10 days under extreme persecution trying to get them to change he said um, be thou faithful unto death after ten days. If you wouldn't repent, if you wouldn't declare Caesar to be Lord, many of them were martyred and put to death. Yep. Yes. Yes. The 
the works of the devil is what's happen, ha- operating behind them. And, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. The works of Satan is a, the works of Satan is operating through the people to get you to deny Christ. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. He said, he said, but if you'll hold fast, if you'll stay through the persecution, he said this. Jesus said, I will give you the crown of life, the crown of life. Now, this pertains to us today in that if we will withstand the persecution, when people say, oh, you're just an old fuddy-duddy, an old fogey, you're just a Christian that don't want to have no fun and want to take everybody else's fun. No, if you'll withstand in that day, if you'll withstand in this day, if you'll put up with that persecution, even if it means they'll take your life, listen, I'm not being political one way or the other, but how much do you know? Donald J. Trump's been up against some of this stuff. We call, you call yourself a Christian, but here's Stormy Daniels. Come on. If he'll stand and he'll keep his faith, he'll gain a crown of life. He'll gain a crown of life. That coach, how much do you know when he stood in that battle, he was holding on to his crown of life? Listen. The time of Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the worse the persecution's going to get. More and more people are going to turn against you, but more and more people are also going to turn towards Christ. You can't look at the people that turn against you. You've got to put your eyes on Jesus and say, that's my landing place. Amen. Listen, and, and basically what he's telling them, so what he was, now remember, he's talking to the pastors. This means that there were pastors, listen, There were pastors in Smyrna, because every church in Smyrna got this letter. There were pastors in the church of Smyrna that said, well, the government's telling us we have to bow. And if we're going to do the work of Christ, if we're going to stay around, if we're going to live, we're going to have to go bow down to the government so that we can worship Jesus underground and get the word out. What did Jesus do? He came to those churches and he said, no, you're the son of Satan. He said, no, you're the, you're the synagogue of Satan. Yep. That's what they did. Listen, and I'm not being ugly and I'm not being rude. We were not disobedient in any way. We kept our social distance and all of that. But when the government said, churches, you've got to close, Michael and I had a tough decision. I said, My, you know, we sat down and we made a tough decision. We said, uh, the church is meant to be a hospital. If people want to come, they can come. But I'm not, if, if people don't want to come, they don't have to come. We'll make the services online available for them if they need it. But no, we're keeping the church doors open. And we did. And if it comes again, we'll do it again. Not to be in disobedience to the government, but to be in total obedience to Christ. Because God, because God said to watch and pray. And as you see these last days upon us, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is. For us as the pastor to say, well, I know the day and the hours upon us that Jesus could return, but uh, we're just going to have to forsake the assembling of ourselves because the government says we have to. That's against the word of God, and we can't do that. We can't do that. So can you see what, what was happening here? He said, uh, pastors, don't, don't tell your people. When they're being persecuted, it's okay. Just do what the government wants. Now, when it came to getting the shot, there were pastors saying, oh, don't get the shot. Jesus isn't opposed to you getting medical care. Jesus gave man the wisdom. What we said was what Jesus said. Be led by your spirit. 
be led by your spirit. If you got a leading to go get it, go get it. If you don't have a leading to not go get it, then don't go get it. Be obedient to what the spirit tells you to do. I'm not being political, but I'm showing you that this these situations apply to every church. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Yeah, I was. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Again, have a spiritual ear. Will you have a spiritual ear? Every time I read this, I say, Father, I have a spiritual ear to hear. I have a spirit. What am I saying? By faith, I have an ear to hear it. He that shall, oh, he that overcometh shall not be hurt for the second of the second death. What is the second death? The second death is being spiritually cut off from the Father for all of eternity. In other words, to this church, he said, Church, don't be concerned about the first death, which is the loss of your natural physical life. Instead, be more concerned about losing your, your, your eternal life and having the second death. He said, No, no, no. It is more important to keep that second death. So I want you to make a note right there of... Um, he that overcomes shall not be hurt in the second death. Just make a little notation there. Let's go to verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou hold this fast, fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Let me tell you, let me, let me explain what's happening here at, 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 at um, Pergamos. Um, first of all, Jesus said, I know your works. In other words, you're doing the work of the body of Christ. That's good. Um, he said, and he also said, I know the area that you live in is extremely pagan with much demonic rule and power. And you have not denied my faith. He said, even though you're in Pergamos, uh, um, where are we at? What church are we in? Pergamos. Pergamos. He said, Pergamos, I know and understand that you live in a very demonically ruled region. What are some very demonically ruled regions in our nation? Chicago. DC, Sin City, basically. Sin City, Vegas. You know, I mean, we can we can list some of them. So, so this church, so he's talking to the churches in that region. He's talking to the churches in that region. There's some regions here in North Carolina that do qualify. He said, um, he said, but despite how much how much demonic rule and reign is around you, you've not denied faith in me. He said, even when my servant was martyred, who was slain among you. Listen, right? And he, listen, Antipas, what was his name? Antipas. Antipas. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Antipas, but Antipas was apparently a member of their church. And Antipas was apparently doing good works. He was apparently declaring and claiming Christ. And yet... Uh, they killed him right in front of the church, right in front of the church people. He said, look, he said, Antipas, my faithful martyr who was slain among you. I mean, some of the church members saw him killed. He said, where Satan dwelt. So it means where he was right there in the city, people killed him for his faith. 
He said, despite all that, you have not, you have not, um, you've not denied me. He said, you've held hard, you've held strong, you've held right. Listen, uh, there's ministers that have to have a police officer at their services every time they hold service. Right here in America. Right here in the United States. And I'm not talking about some huge uh, multi-thousand people church. I'm talking some of your more mid-sized churches. They have to have a police officer come to the church services and have to escort the pastor in and out of his own church because he's had so many death threats against him because he's preaching and proclaiming the truth of God. He's calling out their pagan worship. He's calling, he or she is calling out their sins. Now, thank God we have not had that situation yet. But I'm not taking it off the, off the sheets, off the, off the table of possibilities. Why? Because we're not backing down and we're stirring up some devils. Stirring up some devils. Uh, we've been in meetings. Listen, one of the pastors that we're in good fellowship with, was it last year? I think it was last year. Had a man come in. They were having a mighty Holy Ghost service. I mean, the Spirit was moving. People were getting healed, set free, and delivered. Some man came in their church and set off a pistol. His security was on it, and it, that man got taken down quick, and the police had to come and arrest him. But guess what they did? They turned around, picked right back up in spirit, and continued on. Listen, that's what this church was dealing with. So they had some things right, but they also had some major persecution coming against them. Some major persecution coming against them. And so he said this. He said, man, you got a lot of things going on. But verse 14, he said, but I have a few things against thee. Now, you would think, according to today's Jesus, according to the Jesus that people preach today, that Jesus would say, well, I know you've had a hard time of it, and Antipas was murdered in front of you, so good job, church. I'm proud of you. Kudos to you. You got it all going on. Is that what Jesus said? He said, I got a few things against you. Uh Uh-oh. What's he got against us? Well. (laughs) Verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So thou, so hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. This pastor. This church was in the middle of a very paganistic community. In fact, it was pretty much the, in, in Asia, it was, it was the seat of, of the pagan religions. Okay. They had a mountain there called Pegasus, which had all the temples on it for all the pagan gods. And, and there was the, 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 large, the, uh, the, the temple to Zeus looked like a throne. It was, really it, was up, it was up above the city, and it looked like a throne from the city. From the city, it looked like a giant throne. That's why in, in there he calls it the seat of Satan. Because this God is sitting up on this throne looking down over the city. Super, so here's this super pagan world, pagan place that this church is sitting. And yet, 
And, and, and one of their people had been martyred, and, and they're still going strong. They're still getting Christians saved. They're still getting people born again, saved, set free. They're doing good works. But the pastor has allowed these new born-again believers to come in with their pagan beliefs, with their pagan worship, with their fleshy behaviors, and the pastor is allowing them to influence the rest of the congregation into the same behaviors. The pastor is not going to, that, to those people and saying, look, we're thrilled that you're born again. We're thrilled that you're here. We're thrilled that you're hearing the word of God. But you are going to stop teaching our people how to sin. That's what you came out of, and you're not going to take our people back into it. This was a pastor that was not holding his church accountable. Now, may I put you on the spot, young lady? She knew it was coming. She knew it was coming. At one point in time, Jackie, Jackie believed and convinced herself that she was a born-again believer, but she was living in deep sin, deep sin. And she thought, she, she, and I'm looking at her and say, how can you be doing all these things and believe you go to heaven when I've told you what the Word says? It's different when, a, listen, when a baby doesn't know what the Word says, there's mercy and grace that can cover them. If that baby has no desire to change, leave them ignorant. Because then mercy and grace can come over them. But she could, did not have that excuse because she had been taught since she was in the sixth grade what the Word said. She knew what the word said. So I'd go to her. I wasn't even pastor at that time. But I'd go. The pastor, now, the pastor wouldn't do this. This is one of those churches. The pastor would say, well, honey, I know. How's that, how's that curse working out for you? You enjoying your, you enjoying your curse? That's about all the correction they get. I'd get in her face. I'd love her. And, I, I mean, I'd give her a big hug. I'd look at her, and I'd say, now, you know I love you with everything in me. Yes, ma'am, I do. I said, well, let me tell you something. You've been taught better, and you're headed to hell if you don't get your life in straight. Now, some people say, well, who are you to judge? I'm not judging. I'm telling her based on the word. Based on the word, based on what you've been taught, this is where you're headed if you don't get your life straight. Why? Because I had an obligation because she was under my leadership and my rule, and, and she she'd was, get, to, she'd she get around our other young people. And talk to them about all her sinful living. And rub her sinful living off on them. And I'd have to go to her and I'd say, don't you close your mouth. And I don't want you saying another word to you, these other youth about this and about your behavior and about your living. In fact, if you do, don't even come back to the church. Now, that sounds harsh, but what am I doing? I'm protecting the other youth. And then I'd go to the other youth and I'd say, listen to me. We don't participate with that behavior. If you can't hold your standard, then you keep yourself away from her. Did I not? I did. But see, this pastor wasn't doing that. This pastor was saying, this pastor was more concerned about the numbers than he was about their spiritual state. Now listen, again, we can come down on the pastor, but how much do you know you're responsible for that walk also? This is, where, this is where if you know there's somebody in the church corrupting the church, you have a responsibility to go to the pastor and say, hey, they're corrupting our church people. 
Light bulb just went off. I love it when the light bulb just goes off. Listen, when you know somebody's in your church corrupting your congregation, you have a responsibility to go to the pastor and say, hey, they're corrupting our congregation. Why? Because you don't want Jesus removing the candlestick. Come on. See, Jesus uh, many times refers to the church as a flock. And and when, when you have a flock of sheep, the pastor or the or the uh, sheep herder has to protect his flock from outside influences such as wolves or coyotes or goats. Uh, sometimes a goat will mix in with the flock and and well they'll oh, lead them a, they'll lead them astray. Tear it up. Uh, th- it'll happen. Yeah, a lead goat will them. tear up a, a sheep field. Yeah, make but, a mess. And it, it doesn't kill them, but it sure doesn't help them either, you know. So, so listen. She used to have goats. She knows the goats will spread disease to the sheep. Yeah. So now, so yeah, obviously you got to protect them from lions and bears and 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 <laughs> wolves. Yeah, lions obviously. And tigers and but bears there's but not. there's but there's things, wolves and sheep clothing, goats that you that you have to watch out for, and that's what they're talking about here. They're, talk, the they're the talking church. about not the obvious stuff, but the stuff that's kind of subtle. Listen, we've been in church a long time, and I can we sat down. I'm not going to call out names because some of you can know who they were. But there were people that would come in with crazy doctrines. Oh, yeah. Come, talk, coming and talking to the congregation about the worship of angels. Coming and talking to people about all kinds of crazy, crazy behaviors in the church. And the pastors would just let it go. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Come on! But now, Come on. It, when we're when we're saying that, there, but then there's people. Then there's then there's sheep dogs, right? Those are the congregation members that are on the lookout for the problems, yep. and in, and and they may go to that problem and handle it discreetly and with with love. But most of the time, the sheep dog but needs they to get sh- the attention but, but of the shepherd. But first, they should go to the sheep herder and say, yep. "Hey, yep. you know." There's a problem. Yeah, they need to get they need to get the shepherd's attention. That's why they bark. Yeah, right. exactly. That's why they bark. That's why they bark. That's why they listen. I told you about I told you about Sir Barks a lot the other day, right? Right. The Sir Bark Sir Bark Barks a lot. Well, this morning was it this morning? I think it was, or maybe it was yesterday morning. Yeah, Michael and mine were gone, and I was in the living room and studying and what have you, and I had uh, Chico and Truman and Toby on the couch with me. And uh, Sir Barksalot was in the dining area, and he was barking like he was looking out the window, barking at something. And I thought, and I looked over and I said, Dylan, stop barking. And then I went, what are you even barking at? You're not even looking out the window. Like, what could you possibly be barking at? And then I realized Albert was out. One of, one of the parrots. One of the parrots was out. And let me tell you, they, they can be destructive. And I thought, oh, Lord. And so I had to say, well, Sir Barksalot, good job. Because he was, he was standing not far from Albert going, hey, you're not supposed to be out. Hey, Mom, hey, hey, hey. That's what the church people are supposed to do when these. Uh, Maybe not quite that loud. When these Balaam <laughs> worshipers come in the house. Now, he wasn't so much loud as he was persistent. He was persistent. He alerted to the problem. Now, look at, let's look at verse 16, because uh, verse 16 tells us something pretty interesting. We're in chapter 2, right? Okay. 
Verse 16, <clears throat> repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now check this out. When he, when he addressed this church, he said, he said, write, these things saith him which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Remember in Hebrews, it says the word is, the spirit is sharp and quick like a two-edged sword, able to separate spirit, soul, and body, or spirit, soul, and, yeah, and body. Remember he said that? So he declared how, how he was coming to this church, and then he told him, he said, you need to repent. He's talking to the pastor, and he's talking to the church. He said, or else I will come unto you quickly. He's not threatening to remove his candlestick. He says, I will come quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to send, he said, I'm going to send a messenger. Now, if he's talking to the pastor, he's going to send another fivefold minister. But if he's talking to the people in the church, he's going to come through the mouth of the messenger, the pastor, with a quick, sharp-edged word that's going to mess with your theology. Just because you say, well, I don't believe that, doesn't make what you believe is so. I can believe all day long that the grass out here is pink. It don't make it pink. So when you come into the church... Looking like, sounding like, acting like, and behaving like uh, you're a Christian, and then behind closed doors, you're a pagan sinner? When you come sit in the pew, now listen, some of you have said, well, how does pastor just know some things? Well, how does pastor just correct quick? Well, how did they know I had an issue with that? It's not me, honey. It's not him, honey. It's the Spirit of God with that two-edged, quick sword speaking through my mouth, making war with you because you're in, you're in direct rebellion to the Father. Sound familiar, Miss Judy? All right. She can testify to the truth of that. Verse 17? Yes. Okay. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, and this, this is for this Again, church. Again, make a mark right here. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Now, I'm going to talk about these a little bit later, but I want you to understand what the white stone is. In these, in biblical times, and many times even in our culture, even in American history, when a, when a, when a, when somebody would go to trial, and they had, and a verdict of guilty or not guilty had to be given, many times they were handed a stone. A white stone or and a black stone. And if they were given a black stone, it was a stone of guilt, or you, you were, you, you got a verdict of guilty. But if you got a white stone, you were found to be innocent or, or uh, you had a verdict of, of not guilty or a verdict of vindication. In other words, you were found to be in the right. That's what a white stone is. Um, so we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But, but, uh, but, you know, that white stone can throw some people off. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you'll stay to the end. In other words, 
when God disrupts your theology, if you won't get offended and leave, you're going to get yourself a white stone in the end. Come on, don't get offended and leave. All right. Uh, verse 18. We got, we, we got a little bit of time. We can do this. Come on, okay. y'all hang in there with me. Well, and unto the angel of the church of Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works. He said his works twice, and the last to be more than the first. All right, so here's what this church has going on for it. This church has got some good things going on. They've got works. They've got love. They've got service. They've got faith. They've got patience, and they even have greater works, bigger works and more works. And then when it says, then the last to be more than the first, meaning that the, 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 that's why they mentioned works twice, meaning your works have gotten even better. That's right. Oh, but the problems. Not, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. Now, a lot of people try, and even the margin of my Bible tries to equate this back to Jezebel back there in the Old Testament. But this is New Testament. This is New Testament. Uh, just like there were many Johns in the Bible and many Simons and many Peters, there's many Jezebels. It's a coincidence that this woman's name is Jezebel. So this is a woman that is in the church of Thyatira. And uh, her name is Jezebel. And look at what Jesus calls her. That woman. That woman. That woman. Jesus himself says, Pastor, you let that woman. Now, now let me help you. This doesn't mean, Pastor, you let a woman in your pulpit. No. His problem is not that she's in the pulpit. Or that she's a woman. Or that she's a woman. The problem that he has is that that woman which calleth herself a prophetess. Not that he, the problem was, was she declared of herself, I'm a prophetess of God. This could be said of that man. That man declares himself to be a prophet. In other words, you're allowing somebody in your pulpit, pastor, that I have not called to be there. I didn't call that person to be in your pulpit, and you've allowed this person in your pulpit not once, but multiple times. Listen, just because somebody tells me, just because some minister somewhere tells me, oh, so-and-so is good, you need to have them come into your church. They'll bring a crowd. They'll bring healing. They'll bring this. You'll bring that. Listen, until I hear from the Lord Jesus to bring them in, they'll never come to our pulpit. Never. And if I do, bring, if Michael or I do bring somebody into our pulpit and the Father God says, get them out, they ain't ever coming back. That explains some things to you, doesn't it? All right. So All his right. problem was not, listen, because some people will, listen, some people will read this and say, see, Jesus said that woman because a woman doesn't belong in the pulpit. The issue was not that she was a woman in the pulpit. The issue was... She calls herself a prophetess. Well, that wasn't all the issue. The other part was to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication. 
and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Not only did she call herself to be a prophet, but she's standing in the pulpit for the purpose of getting my people in your flock to go into sexual and or, uh, sexual sin and into idolatry. She's leading your sheep astray, Pastor. And then now, now, now listen to me. Let me help you. Help you. Just because I just stood here and declared I would never have anybody in the pulpit that God didn't tell me to put in it doesn't mean that you have no obligation to judge who stands in that pulpit. If what they teach doesn't agree with the word, you have an obligation to not receive it. You are just as accountable for receiving what's right in the pulpit and what and, and for and for kicking out what's wrong. Well, and and for discovering and discerning for yourself whether it was right or not. Because remember, he's talking. He, the letters were written to the pastors, but they were also written to the churches. This is why we tell you to read your Bible. And if you don't think don't if you think there's anything wrong with what we're saying, go find out for yourself. Listen, this is why you've got to when you listen to a when you listen when you listen to a teaching online. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you big. You cannot know the fruit of an online minister. They will only see, allow you to see what, you, what they want you to see. And if you get online and you can't find anything but praises of a minister, it's because they've paid to have all of the ugly stuff covered up and expunged. Because here's the deal. Any minister that's not receiving persecution, this is one way you can tell, if somebody is truly living for Jesus Christ, what did Jesus Christ say would happen to them? They would be persecuted. If you go look up Kenneth E. Hagin, you'll find out that there's all kinds of stuff on the Internet about him being a false prophet and a false teacher and teaching false doctrines. But everything he taught, you can line up with the word. Somebody shared something by a minister uh, earlier this week, and I said, "Come on, let's, I said, come on, family, let's listen to this and let's see if it's good or not." And we listened to it. It's an hour and twenty-five minute teaching, and I made it eight, seventeen and a half, seventeen and a quarter minutes, because there was so much poison that I was about to puke and break my TV. But, but listen to me. He was quoting scripture right and left. He was quoting it right and left, but he was quoting it out of context. He was quoting it out of context. And I had to keep hitting pause and saying, that's not what that scripture says. That's not who the Jews are. They're not the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. They're not automatically in the kingdom. They've got to receive Jesus just like everybody else has got to receive Jesus. Nope, Bible says in Romans 10.10, your confession is what brings you salvation, not your conviction. Now, there is a conviction that's true. But see, he was twisting. Just a little bit. Twisting the scriptures just enough that it was poison. Twisting them just enough. Come on. You guys have got, so when you sit down and you look, if you don't know the scriptures well enough to know it immediately, you better sit down with your Bible and you better say, well, is that the subject matter? Because, I mean, he made it sound good. He made it sound so good. 
How do you know if you're born again? Come on, how do you know if you're born again? How do you know? If... There's a witness on the inside. There's a witness on the inside that says, I am a child of God and I'm heaven bound. There's no doubt in your mind, heart, or spirit. Somebody says, Brian, if I ask you, are you heaven bound? What are you going to say? Yes. She said, yeah. Is there any doubt in your heart? Not a doubt anywhere. No hesitation, no anything. None. Does it say, so number one, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that's number one, how you know how you're saved. Number two, you know because there's a witness in your heart. Number three is who is Jesus to you. Those are the three signs that tell you that you are born again. Is that you have the revelation of who Jesus is. He's the Lord and Savior of your life. He's the Son of God. He died and was buried and raised for your, uh, raised for your, uh, it took your, it took your place in hell. There's those, those are the three signs. You know what this minister said the sign was? But he said, according to John 14, when you begin to see the Spirit, that's how you know that you're born again. Because in John 14, he said, I'll send you the comforter so that you may, so that, because in a little while no man will know me, but you'll be able to know me. That scripture ain't got nothing to do with knowing if you're born again or not. That scripture has everything to do with Jesus going to the cross, but sending his duplicate replacement, the Holy Ghost. See? See how it twisted? Do you see why I couldn't take the sermon? Twist it. Twist it. I'm not being ugly. I'm teaching you how. But if you don't know what John 14 is all about, you better have your Bible so you can pause it and say, well, is that what the scriptures are talking about? Otherwise, you'll be deceived. And that's what was happening in this church. There was a person in the pulpit a, a, a prophetess in the pulpit telling them, well, it's okay, you can go and sin because Jesus paid all your sins for you. Every sin that you've ever done, every sin that you are doing, every sin that you'll ever do is paid for. So go on and live, we all make heaven. And they said, woo! And they went out and didn't control their flesh anymore. Yep. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus, when he encountered somebody, said, now that you know me, go and sin no more. You better weigh it. So the prior church, the problem was the people in the congregation. In this church, the problem was the prophetess or prophet standing in the pulpit, and the pastor allowed it. Some bad things come on this prophetess. So it says, Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. She was actually sleeping with congregation members outside of wedlock. At least that's what they... That's what's that's insinuated what history, That's what historians okay. preach. And to eat things sacrificed unto idols, which was a no-no. Which was commonplace right. then. Listen, you don't eat no hollow meat. Right. And I gave her... And, and then he goes, he goes on to say, I gave her space to repent. He gave her time to repent. Yep, God gave her time. So, so that, to me, that tells me that she wasn't always off. Right. And God was also dealing with her heart. God was dealing with her. All right, so he gave her space to repent for her fornication, which, again, points to she was sleeping around. Okay, and she repented not. And don't forget, fornication, yes, means sexual sin, but it also means unfaithfulness to God. Okay. Uh, behold, I will cast her into a bed. Which means a bed of sickness bed or of a sickness. bed of langu languishing. 
and them that commit adultery with her unto great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So he's given everybody a chance to get out of this. Listen, you can sit under a bad teacher and you can suck up what they're teaching, but when the Holy Spirit deals with you and says, uh-uh, that teaching is wrong, you better be quick to repent, church. Better be quick to repent, pastor. You better be quick. And it says, I will, ki- I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he with which searcheth the reins and hearts. Now, at the at initial look here, it looks like he's talking about her natural children. And there could be a correlation to that because we know in the Old Testament that the, that the curse is passed from generation to generation. But really, because she's standing in the pulpit as a leader, he's told really more than likely what God is talking about is her spiritual children. Her followers. Her followers, because they are in, because they are operating in unrepented sin, the door is open to, he, they have opened the door to Satan to bring the curse on their life. And because they are children of God, they're more accountable. Satan's going to get them because they're influencing other people. So more than likely, these people that are following this false teacher are going to come into early premature death just like her. Just like her. So listen, if you find out you're listening to a wrong teacher, uh, I highly recommend that you extend your life and get out from underneath them and repent. Get out from underneath them and repent. When it comes to light, oh man, they were teaching some wrong stuff. Don't just ignore it and just say, well, the blood of Jesus covers me. No, no, no. Repent. So it says, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Which means your heart shows through your works. Right. Because here's the I mean, some people are just naive. They don't know the word. They don't know how to they don't know how to measure the word. They don't know how to measure teachings against words because they're babies, they're immature, they don't know. And if your heart is just God, I'm just truly just trying to do right, God's gonna measure you according to that. But people that have been around the church for some while, some people that have got the scriptures in them, um, and they're just like, I'm sorry, I know some people that are like this. They know the word. They're accountable for the word. They know what the word says. They themselves have preached, you better not get involved in this. And then they hear this prophetess, and this prophet or prophetess says, well, no, honey, it's okay. And then all of a sudden they've got free license to go sin. See, that's God searching the heart. We all know some. I mean, most of us, I can, I can say most of us know somebody in this boat. Come on. All right. Verse 24. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Which means if they weren't following her, and they weren't listening to her, then he's not gonna he's not gonna punish them. See, here's the deal. You every church remember I said in the beginning, all churches can have some of these problems. A minister just out of the goodness of their hearts. Listen, I'll give you this example. If Brother Randy endorsed somebody that was right and they were good and he endorsed them and he said they'd be a good person to have in your church. And then somewhere along the line, they start to get off, and we bring them into our church, and then we find out, 
oh boy, this is off. We don't have to receive it. We don't have to receive it. And if we don't receive it, then God's not going to hold us accountable for their preaching. You're only accountable for what you receive. You see what I'm saying? Now, that doesn't mean you can sit in the pulpit. That doesn't mean you can sit in the pew. You can hear a good teaching that steps on your toe and go, well, Jesus, I don't agree with that part of the Bible, so I'm not receiving it. Therefore, I won't be accountable. That doesn't work. Now, y'all are laughing, but I'm telling you, I know people that do that. Yes. Yes. I know people... I know, I listen, I know people, and I'm not talking to one person. I know people that have looked me square in the face and said, well, I don't believe that scripture. And, you know, it takes, it takes some people a, a certain amount of time to get revelation on certain things. You know, that even though they hear it over and over again. I mean, and that's part, of, that's part of learning anything. The more you hear it, that's part of faith. The more you hear it, the more you're going to build your faith, the more you're going to get revelation on it. And then all of a sudden, one day you're going to go, oh, my God, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. <laughs> I repent. Listen. All right. Keep going. All right. Uh, let's see. Are we in verse 25? Because this is one of my yes. favorite ones. Yes, this is one of my favorites. All right. But that which ye have already hold fast till I come. What did he say? Did Jesus say, now remember... Now remember, God assigns you to your church. And Jesus is pointing out issues that can be in every church. And Jesus knows these issues are in his body. He knows these are issues in the local church. And, and did he say, now when that happens, get out of Dodge. Yeah. Did he, when Leave it, that when, church and run when, on down the street. When that happens, go <laughs> find, find you a different one. pastor. Did he, did what What'd you say? Say it again. Out loud. Did Jesus say, uh, when you see this stuff happening, go start yourself a new church down the corner, down on the corner? No, uh, yeah, and take half the congregation with you. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He placed you in that church, and he told you to do what? Hold, hold fast, fast till I come. He said, hold fast till I come. He said, hold fast. <laughs> out of the mouths of babes for the benefit that didn't hear or said I think we should put that on the billboard when you see issues in your church Jesus says hold fast Woo, man. might ought to add it to that, that scripture at the beginning of our church bulletin <laughs> well I'm not claiming issues in our church no but, but he said when you see issues in the church he said hold fast Hold fast till I come. He said, in other words, he said, when you see, when you see some guy things going off with the pastor, hold fast. When you see some people in the church having some issues, hold fast. Yes. Stay planted. Don't uproot yourself. Don't get offended. Don't get out of place. Why? Because he's still there. Yep. Jesus is still there. Jesus knows that we're human and we got some problems, and Jesus is bringing correction. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure every Hold one of us fast. here has been offended in a church at one time or another. And, and, and if, if everybody gets offended and leaves, who's going to be left? Come on, hold <laughs> fast. No, no, we're saying we, we've watched it. Right. All right. All right. No comment, Brian. 26. <laughs> 26. And I'll keep it to myself, Brianna. We're, 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 we're running out of time. We are way out of time, but come on. 
We're going to get to the end of this chapter. Come on. Oh, yeah, we're not that far. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, him or her, I will give power over the nation. Listen, when, there, when there's a false prophet or prophetess or a false teacher in your pulpit, hold fast. Overcome those bad teachings. Keep your work. Keep the works of Jesus. And I'll write on to the end. Keep doing what you've been told to do. And in the end, I will give him power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a, with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the, church, or what the Spirit says unto the churches. Glory to God. Mark that part right there. We're going to come back to it next week. Hopefully, we're going to finish the last three of the seven churches. And then we're going to go back and look at the seven rewards that you get if you hold fast and stay where God's planted you and keep your salvation to the end. We're going to look at that next week. I seriously doubt we'll get to chapter 4 next week. With that in mind, but chapter 4 is wonderful. It's amazing. It's all about the throne of God. Just give you something good to look forward to. Um, the cha- after this, once we hit chapter 4, things will start moving a lot faster. Because these are, these are talking about what we're dealing with today. Yeah, and they're things today. that we can, we can gather lessons from. Right. So that's why this takes a little longer. Well, glory to God, we're over time, but I just don't care. We just might have to just, you know, just deal with it. Glory to God. Well, tithes and offerings, it's always a wonderful joy and a privilege to tithe and give give to the house of God. Thank you, Father. Glory to God, you want to bless? Sure. Lord, we thank you for this word that we've received. We ask that it fall on good ground. We come prepared and and ready to receive, expecting to hear from you, Lord, and and it will fall on good ground and it will grow in our lives as we meditate on it throughout the week and it will bear fruit in our lives and in the lives of those that we come in contact with. Lord, we we just love you and we want to see your work done here on earth as it is in heaven. And therefore we give into your kingdom with a grateful and joyous heart because you gave so much more unto us first when we weren't lovable. But Lord, we love you and we want to see your kingdom grow so we will give unto your kingdom and we will do it joyfully and lord we just ask that you bless this offering that you that it go further than we could ever ask hope or think towards the furthering of your kingdom and lord we ask that you send out your angels to bring in our blessings and our and our and and bring in the money so that we can be a bigger blessing thank you father thank you father jesus name jesus mighty name father we thank you for your goodness your love and your mercy Father, we thank you that Satan is under our feet and he has to take his hands off our money, release it, and let it go. We command the angels, according to the word, to go and cause increase to come, favor, cause favor everywhere we go. Father, we thank you that your word is true and that your word is working. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. amen. You can serve the people. Thank you, Father.